0: Down. Oh! of oh, wow. 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 the greatest knockouts Incredible. Oh, and down. Goes Gambada. Whoop. There it
1: is. Oh, yeah. Oh, God. <bombed out> Welcome back to Throwing Hands. I'm Jacob Janowski, and alongside me is Daniel Woods, per usual. But we have another special guest on today, Dan Stupp, the founder of MMAJunkie.com. Dan, how are you doing today?
2: Good. How are you guys doing?
1: Doing pretty good. So I guess we're just going to hop right into it. How did you get your uh, start in journalism? Like what inspired you or what led you down this path?
2: I had actually started writing for my hometown paper uh, when I was 14 uh, years old, where they had a, a Sunday section devoted to like the high schools and, and middle schools. Um, so I joined that and thought it was kind of cool. So thankfully, uh, it made choosing a career very easy. It was just kind of always felt like the right thing for me to do. Um, and then obviously, Uh, you know, I always enjoyed sports. So that quickly became part of it. Um, So I don't know, I've just kind of always been in the journalism game. And it's provided a lot of pretty cool opportunities. So it's worked out well.
0: For sure. and
2: uh, Yeah, you go. You go, Daniel. uh,
0: What what I was just going to say is, is early in your career, uh, when you graduated from the University of Missouri, you worked a lot in Major League Baseball, and not necessarily covering (laughs) baseball, but a lot more on the communication side of things. Um, how did did that prepare you going into journalism a little bit more for kind of the logistical side of things? Is, was that a help to you once you started writing professionally?
2: Yeah, I kind of look at it um, kind of right out of school. I went to work for the Cincinnati Reds, their front office doing, like you say, communications and, and publications and the website. Uh, part of me always regretted kind of doing that, uh, getting out of traditional journalism. I, I think if I tried to uh, kind of become a, an actual journalist in baseball, it, it would have worked against me a bit. Um, but looking back, I'm, I'm really glad I did it, you know, when, especially now, um, you know, when we kind of question why the UFC or Bellator or another organization is doing, way, uh, doing things the way they do. Uh, even like TV deals, uh, stuff like that. It, it was really good to be on the other side of it to see it from that perspective. And and if nothing else, it, it made me realize kind of why employees, um, you know, whether it's the UFC, Bellator, or somewhere else, kind of why they're so loyal to their company and their brand. You know, I, I was on the other side of that. I get that sometimes. And uh, you know, it, it can be good, but it can also make you realize, I, I don't know, kind of why PR people sometimes. I, I guess deceive is the right word. Um, You know, I think any journalist who's covered MMA for a while has been led astray or or, uh, lied to or or thrown off the track. And, um, you know, being on the other side of it, I I wouldn't say that I necessarily did stuff like that when I worked for the Cincinnati Reds. Uh, But it made me kind of better understand the people that we deal with with the promotion, kind of why they do things the way they do. So. I don't know. Like I said, um, you know, it was kind of a detour out of traditional journalism, but looking back, I'm really glad I did it.
1: So, coming from the Cincinnati Reds, you soon went to uh, MMA journalism. How did that transition happen? Like, what made you leave Cincinnati and head to what you're m- pretty much doing today?
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I loved baseball. Um, obviously, it doesn't. Uh, you know, a baseball game doesn't give you kind of the same jolt of excitement that a big fight night does. Um, you know, I, I guess from kind of an excitement standpoint, you couldn't pick two more different sports than, than baseball and MMA. Uh, but back at the time, I think it was about 2005, um, you know, I, MMA was really starting to take off. I knew there was an opportunity there. Uh, there just weren't a whole lot of websites covering it. Um, you know, a Sure Dog, MMA Weekly, uh, maybe Full Contact Fighter. Um, but like I said, th- there was an opportunity there. I thought uh, the sport was going to get big. I, you know, kind of working in baseball, I understood the value of, of TV deals and how you really didn't even need to draw fans if your TV deal was big enough. So I knew MMA, just with all these broadcasters hungry for live programming, live sports programming, I knew MMA um, – could fill a, a kind of a niche or a role and, and pay-per-view was still pretty big at the time. Um, but anyway, I, I, just, you know, it was kind of a combination of burning out a bit on MMA or on baseball, uh, wanting to get back into traditional journalism and then seeing kind of this sport really starting to take off and, and kind of, I, I think I kind of saw it before a lot of other people did. Um, you know, we launched MMA junkie and I'd say probably within the next 12 or 18 months, You start seeing a lot of the websites, um, you know, that are around today, Uh, a lot of the TV programs, you know, this big Spike TV deal, kind of all that stuff started falling into place. So it was definitely kind of the right, the right opportunity at the right time, Uh, just kind of everything fell into place.
0: So when you did get into, into MMA journalism, like you said, it was right when that kind of first start to a boom period was starting to come along for mixed martial arts. Uh, what was it like being one of the first people on the front lines and being able to watch that, watch the sport of MMA grow kind of as as MMA Junkie did with it?
2: Yeah, I mean, it was a little intimidating. Like, I, I didn't really come from a, a martial arts background or a wrestling background, um, you know, so it, it was a little intimidating. You know, you feel kind of like a poser at least the first few years because, you know, I, I, I think UFC 39, UFC 40 was when I really started kind of, Uh, buying the pay-per-views and and getting into the sport. Um, But it it was really cool to kind of uh, get in when I did, because I think, you know, um, there were just a lot of little things that people really weren't doing back then that I I think I kind of helped, you know, in a very small way, but kind of helped shape how people cover MMA. You know, back then, no one really, um, you know, published the the full list of fighter payouts. Uh, Medical suspensions weren't a thing. Um, you know, so it was nice. You could kind of, because there wasn't a blueprint for how to cover MMA, uh, you could kind of decide for yourself and and see what worked. And, And thankfully it was still kind of a small enough sport, um, that, you know, if you made the wrong decision or you were covering stuff that people just don't care about, um, it was still just so new and interesting that no one really cared. They, they were, they wanted any type of MMA coverage you could get. Uh, just because so many people are getting into it for the first time and, and looking for anything they could find to, to read about MMA.
1: For sure. And so a few years after you, know, you found an MMA junkie, MMA's on the rise. It's on a very upward trend. You, you, had, you made a deal with USA Today. How did your, your career path change once that transaction happened?
2: It, it thankfully didn't change too much. I had started MMA Junkie with um, two other guys, a, a friend and then a friend of a friend. Um, you know, they had other jobs. They had other ventures. Um, I think they were at a point where they were ready to kind of uh, sell and and get out and do something else. And, and for me, uh, you know, we we talked to a, a lot of different uh, media companies or, or companies that were interested in either partnering with us or acquiring us. Um, but at the time, I think USA Today was definitely uh, the right partner. They didn't really wanna blow stuff up uh, too much. Uh, if anything, they just kinda wanna give us the resources and, and, and build out a staff to kinda take it to the next level. Um, so at the time, it, it was definitely the right partner and, and the right time. Uh, again, so much of MMA in my career has just been you know the right opportunities coming along at the right time and, and USA Today uh, buying the company and let us build a staff was definitely one of one of those.
1: All right. So you became the USA Today MMA editor. What what uh, trying to figure out how to word this question. How did when you're when you transition from a journalist to an editor? What changed with with that? Did you get more? Uh, sorry, I'm trying to figure out how to word this question.
2: No, I, I mean, I, I think I kind of know what you're asking because yeah. w- when I started Junkie, it really was kind of a one-man operation. We had a, a guy like Steve Siebert uh, who was at the Houston Chronicle at the time and a few guys like that who would maybe do a story a week or a story every other week, uh, but it was really me just cranking out five to ten stories a day, you know, big and small. Um, when USA Today purchased us, um, you know, that's when we hired like Ben Folks, Um You know, Stephen Morocco was still pretty new at the time. Mike Bond eventually came on. John Morgan had been with us for a while. Um, It it definitely did, you know, kind of move me more from doing the day-to-day writing, uh, more into the editing. But, you know, I was kind of developing an editorial blueprint from that first day, whether I was writing it or somebody else was writing it. Um, But it was really cool because, you know, once we had a staff and more writers, There were a lot of ideas I was sitting on, uh, the type of content, the type of interviews that I wanted to do. uh, But within me, with it being just me, I just didn't have the time or the resources to do it. Um, So it worked really well. I think um, as an editor, you get a lot of credit for stuff that you shouldn't. You know, it's easy for me to um, look like a genius editor when you have guys like Ben Folks writing for you. Um, But, you know, if anything else, it just, you know, let me share some uh, ideas with writers who who are often looking for ideas um, but you know even at the, the Cincinnati Reds I was still you know even at 23 24 I was kind of the main editor of the company you know I'd edit speeches and letters from uh, the CEO and the owner and players and stuff um, so I, I think you know from an editor standpoint I, I was really situated well for it um, and and that trial by fire you know working with USA Today and now having this massive audience and a lot of eyeballs on our stuff. Uh, It was intimidating, but I was ready for it. And, you know, I'm I'm kind of lucky. I I think in MMA there are some fantastic writers. When I eventually went to the athletic, I I got to work with a lot of them, you know, Chad Dundas and Josh Gross and Chuck Mendenhall and, and guys who have been around the sport uh, for a long time. Um, But, you know, I, I think uh, there's, there's not a whole lot of, uh, kind of experienced editors or people who are content just to edit and don't want to do a bunch of writing themselves. But for me, I was always content doing editing. I, I, I love working with uh, great writers and and trying to help them become just a little bit better. And, and that's really what I got to do at The Athletic for the, the year that I was there recently. Um, but that all started back with USA
0: Today. You know? well, right about the time that uh, the deal with USA Today happened. That was right around the time where we really saw online sports journalism kind of explode. You had SB Nation and Bleacher Report really coming along, along with USA Today and countless other online outlets uh, covering sports. And you do have a little bit of a background in in traditional print journalism with the the Dayton Daily News. But what kind of is your perspective on? the way media has changed over the years to to be more versatile between online and print and really everything else
2: yeah it's funny when i went to to mizzou uh, they've got a really good journalism program and and a big reason i wanted to go there was that you actually when you're a student you do all this stuff like they run the nbc affiliate uh, the local nbc affiliate so the student. It's the, the journalism students are doing the nightly news. Um, they're doing the sports reports on the nightly news. They also run the daily newspaper, so you're doing actual, you know, journal, newspaper, print journalism. Uh, they run the NPR station, so you're getting actual radio experience. Um, you know, back when I was there from 97 to 2001, it was really kind of the tail end of tra- traditional journalism, especially when it comes to print journalism. Um, but I think, you know, like I said, it's a really good program. So they prepared us and were telling us that look, we're teaching you kind of traditional old school journalism, but everything's about to change. It's gonna change in a, a major way. And and as much as they prepared us for that, I, I really don't didn't kind of expect it to get to the point it does with kind of the consolidation and where you have reporters being their own editors and their videographers and 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 doing social media and stuff like that. Um, I I never expected I I expected the role of the journalist to expand where you'd have more duties. Uh, But even I'm kind of shocked these days, how much uh, a media company expects out of a journalist. And and it's a big reason I understand why uh, a lot of these people have started their own websites and and podcasts and stuff. It's like, if if you're going to work 60 or 80 hours a week, uh, wearing multiple hats and doing multiple jobs, you might as well be working for yourself and, And, you know, kind of when MMA Junkie was coming into its own at the time, you know, 2005 to 2010, that's when you saw a lot of other MMA websites um, really starting to launch and and people kind of journalists becoming entrepreneurs. And, uh, you know, it was just the the right time for that. The technology was, you know, WordPress was coming along. It was getting easier to, to edit videos. Podcasts were getting popular. Um, it, it really was a fun time to to kind of be a journalist and and seeing the whole whole industry shift in a, a new way. So,
1: like you said, there were a lot of resources at Mizzou, like the radio station and the NBC station NPR. How did how did those resources help you get to where you were where you are today?
2: I, I think more than anything, it kind of gives you the the confidence that you can do this professionally. Um, thankfully, I'd, I'd written for my hometown paper, the, the Springfield News and Sun in Ohio, and, and did an internship at the Dayton Daily News. Um, so, you know, that kind of gave me a, the confidence I needed that I could do this. But at Mizzou, you're kind of with the best of the best of journalism students. Like everybody was the editor of their high school newspaper. Everybody worked on their yearbook. Um, so it could be a little intimidating. But, you know, getting that experience... Um, it gives you the confidence and then it also shows potential employers that, you know, um, you're, you're fresh out of school, but you have the experience. And that was one of the big reasons the Cincinnati Reds hired me. I had done an internship there, but, uh, the guy who ended up hiring me, um, you know, he was very familiar with journalism programs when I told him I wanted to, to intern for the Reds and that they were my favorite team. Uh, he asked where I went to school, and, and I said, you know, I'm a, a journalism student at Mizzou, and that was basically all he needed to hear to give me an internship and then hire me full time. So um, that that's the big thing with Mizzou you you get the experience, you get the confidence, but you know, just uh, when you go to a good journalism program, um, and Mizzou has one, Northwestern, Syracuse, uh, Illinois at the time, Ohio University. Uh, if you go to one of these schools with really big, well-known journalism programs a lot more doors are going to open for you right out of school.
0: So to, to take a detour a little bit away from traditional journalism you, within your time, <clears throat> excuse me, with the Cincinnati Reds, you also were able to, to write a couple books about Reds history and just the team as a whole sort of uh, what, how in terms of comparing it to more of a traditional journalism sense, how, much of a jump was that uh, for for book writing as compared to what you were normally doing in traditional journalism?
2: Yeah, I mean, thankfully, they weren't kind of really big projects. One was kind of a a glorified photo book uh, for the the opening of the Red's New Ballpark. And the other one was kind of co-writing a a book of short stories uh, of real life tales from uh, one of the Red's pitchers, uh, Tom Browning. Um, But I think more than anything, it, it really kind of helped me understand the role of project management, how to see through a big project and, and the importance of, of sticking to a schedule and, and things like that. Um, you know, it, this past year up until, uh, you know, I got laid off from the athletic, uh, a month ago, but for that year, we did a lot of really big stories. Sean Alshante did a, a really big piece on, uh, Travis Fulton, uh, and Michael Bisping. Uh, we did a, a really big, uh, fighter survey project where we interviewed 170 fighters anonymously, uh, and built a whole series of stories around that. Um, but doing something like a, a book project, um, you know, it, it, it forces you to really kind of, uh, see, you know, to, to organize and plan for these big projects, um, it, plus, I mean, it's just it's cool to to have a book out there in the world with your name on it. so uh, it's it's a big of a, a a bit of an ego stroke there too. Um, but no, I mean, it was a project I enjoyed. there There were a lot of long nights. we We had very uh, short uh, time frames to to kind of get the book written and edited and put out there. I, I remember a lot of nights, you know, working at the the ballpark uh, from eight a m to five p m and then immediately working on the book from five thirty to midnight. And then just wondering how I could keep up that pace, but uh, doing that for two or three months, uh, it made every big project after that not seem as scary.
1: So we took the detour to the book. Now coming back on to the main road, we you got sorry to hear that you got laid off on the athletic, <laughs> but okay. so you now are contributor for Action HQ, a sports betting website. So how does your writing change from traditional MMA writing to? tailoring to sports bettors when it comes to writing
2: it's it's a new world for me it, it's still a little weird I, i've always been kind of into to sports betting and and um you know i love college hoops college basketball or and college football and things like that uh writing about betting betting is kind of a new thing um last summer i actually went out to vegas and interviewed uh, a guy named luca fury he was a really successful mma better for a couple of years Um, You know, I I wanted to pick his brain just about kind of, you know, how he went about picking fights, uh, how he went about, you know, writing about picking fights. Um, So I don't know. It's kind of a passion project. But, you know, even more than that, I kind of see sports betting the way that I looked at MMA 15 years ago. Uh, It's going to be huge. It's already started. Uh, I live out here in Virginia and we are, are one of the new states that just legalized sports betting, including online sports betting. I know people can bet, you know, with offshore books, but the fact that it's becoming, um, you know, legal, outright legal here in the United States, the fact that, you know, the UFC was one of the first promotions to to really get in bed with uh, sports books and, and promote it. But now you're seeing the NFL, NBA, MLB, Kind of everybody following suit. Um, you know, I think a lot of people have, sports, have done sports betting for a long time. I think a lot more have joined in the past couple of years. I, I think we haven't even scratched the surface of what we're going to see in the next five or 10 years. So I, I don't know. This was kind of a perfect vehicle for me. Obviously, I know MMA fairly well. I, I think I'm a fairly decent uh, better when it comes to MMA. Um, but, you know, the type of writing I do for the Action Network, I, I like talking to the people that. I know no MMA, that, that bad MMA, that, that handicap fights, that breakdown fights. Uh, part of my writing is just picking their brains and, and trying to learn stuff. So, um, like I said, it, it's kind of a perfect vehicle. I, I've got some downtime now, so I want to do some writing. I think sports betting is the next big thing um, as far as uh, just sports journalism goes and, and the fact that I know MMA, uh, this was kind of an easy transition. So. Um, I don't know. I, I feel like maybe, you know, I'm getting the the experience I need. Uh, I could see, you know, sports betting being a
0: part of my life,
2: a, a part of my career in journalism here for the next 10 or 15 years, just
0: like MMA was. So I've, I've definitely seen sports betting growing in West Virginia since it was legalized a few <laughs> months ago. It's kind of becoming a ra- reality here in the state now. And you mentioned that the UFC early on was really partnering with, uh, sports betting and, like you said, getting in bed with that—is that? Do you see that being kind of uh, not necessarily a formal partnership, but something that's going to help both of them grow as time goes on? There's so much money
2: in, in sports betting. The, the amount of money that you know the the big companies, your DraftKings, uh, FanDuel, FoxBet, uh, BetMGM. Um, it's kind of an arms race right now. Who can raise the most money and, and, and bolster their apps? Um, you know, just kind of like we saw with uh, Daily Fantasy Sports, like, you know, three or four years ago, where every other ad was, you know, for DraftKings or FanDuel. I think that's going to be the next three or four, four years for sports betting, especially in markets, like you said, West Virginia, now Virginia
0: and Illinois
2: and Iowa, um, all these places that are, are launching uh, legalized online and, and in-person betting. Um so yeah, I I I there's just so much money there that sports would be crazy to, to to not get involved. And you know, the fact that we're now seeing, you know, the NFL, which for years, you know, pretended like betting was the most evil thing and would corrupt the game. Uh, as soon as it became legal and they realized how much money was at stake partnering with these sports books. Uh, the whole integrity kind of argument went out the door and and people were ready to cash in. Um, But I mentioned that because in journalism and MMA journalism and just sports journalism as a whole, you know, uh, our money has come, you know, the money that that funds the website has come from a lot of different places over the years. You know, for, you know, I'm looking back on MMA junkie, uh, some of the big advertisers we had, you know, it, it, they kind of seemed to come for a year or two and then disappear where, you know, it, it, we had alcohol companies, you know, Mickey's Malt Liquor was one of our big first big uh, advertisers. We saw a lot of uh, movies, a lot of films uh, advertising with us, a lot of video games. Um, uh, then we, MMA kind of hit a, a stretch where it was just a lot of good blue chip sponsors, your Gillette's, uh, Bud Light, um you know, some of your travel companies and things like that. Uh, we even, you know, got a, a little bit of the, the daily fantasy sports, uh, you know, back a, a few years ago. I think the the big kind of advertiser, the, the, the ones that are going to help subsidize MMA websites and, and just sports websites uh, as a whole are going to be the sports books, the sports betting. I think that's what's going to be the lifeline, uh, not just for journalism, but maybe the, the companies themselves. I, I think the UFC... The NFL, you know, a lot of those, um, you know, the, the, the big sports organizations, uh, you know, they, they need advertising money too. And I, I think the next three, four, five years, it's going to be all sports betting. I think we're just starting to see the beginning of it. All right.
1: Do you have something to say, Daniel? Go ahead. Okay. So speaking of picks, UFC 251 is this weekend. <laughs> what are your picks for this weekend? What are your thoughts about this weekend's uh, festivities?
2: I, I'm pretty chalky. I, I think uh, a lot of the favorites are favorites for a good reason. I was actually just kind of going through the fight card earlier today on a, a real long hike, uh, listening to some of my favorite podcasts, and and nearly tripping and falling as I was looking up the the current odds and and the fight card and stuff. Um, I, I I love the George Masvidal uh, kind of comeback. I, I mean, one of the first events I attended was a a Strikeforce show at the Playboy Mansion. Uh, Masvidal was there. Um, I I saw him fight at Bellator two in Dayton, Ohio, when Toby Ahmad caught him in that inverted triangle. Um, I'm a big Masvidal fan. I I like everything about him. I I don't think this fight's gonna be even close with with Usman. I think he's just, he's such a good wrestler. He's been prepared for this fight. Masvidal has taken it on short notice. I I think it's a horrible stylistic matchup for him. Uh, You know, Masvidal has a a, a way of, of, you know, bringing some magical moments to his fights, uh, just like we saw with Ben Askren. But I I think this is just uh, too much for him right now, especially as a small lightweight. I think he's going to be put on his back, and and I I think the champ defends here. Um, Same thing with Volganowski. I I think, you know, the first fight I was really big on Holloway. I, I think he got exploited um pretty big in that fight we saw some of the deficiencies his struggling to to deal with his opponent's height um you know and and you know we've heard the horror stories about his fight camp um you know for for this fight that he really couldn't train with his coaches and and even if that's not entirely true the fact that he's even putting it out there or trying to play head games just doesn't seem like the typical max holloway um, you know, and, and then I'm big on Jan, uh, you know, against uh, Jose Aldo. Um, so, again, I'm pretty chalky with the big fights, but I think, um, I, I think it's justified.
0: Something we've we've talked about a lot on this show since that Piotr Jan-Jose Aldo fight was announced was kind of the matchmaking process for that Bantamweight title fight. What do you think about that situation? We talked to Phil Murphy from ESPN. Uh, he talked about how he thought Marlon Moraes deserved that fight instead of Jose Aldo. I mean, Aljamain Sterling's been making some waves in that division. What's your stance there?
2: Yeah, I, I definitely don't think he was the most deserving. And, and I could almost justify a fight booking like that if nothing else was going on in the, in the division. But that division is just full of killers. There's so many guys deserving of a title shot. Um, but I also – I've been around the sport long enough. I get it. I, I understand that whether you're the organization or the champ, you, you want a you scalp on your wall that means something. You want a big name. Um, that's kind of how you – I mean, you really do – if you want to become a pay-per-view draw, if you want to come become one of the big stars, at some point you've got to make your name off other names. And I think this does that for him. I hope it's not a trend. Like I said, this division – it's one of the most exciting divisions I can remember at any point in history in any division. It's just so many killers, so many good fights, so many good matchups. Uh, hopefully we get this one out of the way and, and we can start, you know, booking title fights more on merit than,
0: than marketability.
1: All right. Uh, Dan, do you have anything else?
0: I want, I have one more question. You've, you've talked a couple of times uh, about, Uh, you know, going back in the past and covering old Jorge Masvidal fights when he was outside the UFC, and you talk about Jose Aldo and his history. Uh, Going back through your years covering MMA, if you had to pick uh, a favorite fight from a fan's perspective, or not a favorite fight, a favorite card from a fan's perspective, and a favorite card that you have covered as a journalist, what, what would those be?
2: I think one of my favorites was UFC. I can't remember UFC 68. It was when Randy Couture came out of retirement to take the heavyweight belt from Tim Sylvia. Um, That was kind of special to me. I was living in Ohio at the time, um, and that was the first event in Columbus, Ohio, uh, with the Arnold Sports Festival, which kind of became an annual tradition until they ended it for whatever reason. Um, But that was also my first live UFC event. in the crowd just watching a, a fight play out realizing I'd been there like seven or eight hours and it felt like two um, I, I'm always gonna hold a special place uh, in my heart for that event. but honestly if I could go back in, in any time to, to really cover an event or a series of events, uh, I don't know if you guys you're, you're pretty young but Elite XC back in the day where Kimbo Slice uh, first got his start where Gina Carano fought you know before uh, Strike force. Those cards were, I mean, they were train wrecks. They, they were disasters. Um, but there were so many good fights. There was so much drama. As a guy kind of on the road for the first time covering in a sport, I mean, you couldn't have asked for kind of a, a more entertaining uh, week, you know, dealing with Gary Shaw running the company and, and his son, Scala, who was also the DJ. And then, like I said, Kimbo and his entourage. Uh, That's kind of where Robbie Lawler uh, kind of resurrected his career. It seems so crazy when we talk about Robbie resurrecting a career 15 years ago or 10 years ago because it felt like he's just doing it here in the past few years. But um, that was a a really special time in MMA. Uh, You know, it was a publicly traded company. You knew that the bottom was going to give out eventually. They just weren't pulling in the revenue to to stay afloat. You knew it was going to go away really soon. Uh, but for that year or two where they were putting on big fights, and they were on CBS, which was a huge deal back then, uh, and, and you had Nick Diaz fighting on CBS and, and Jake Shields, and um, it, I, I just, I, I love that whole era of MMA. It, was, it felt like the USD was getting some real competition, Strike Force was coming into their own. But that kind of, that era where the IFL was around and Bodog fight was starting to take around. I, I think it was Elite XE that really stood out as the possible number two to the UFC. And like I said, the cards, the cards were just so much fun. I, I think they actually have them on UFC fight pass now. So if you have a subscription, go back and watch them. They're entertaining. They're fighters, you know, the names, you know.
0: Um, but
2: again, as a journalist, it, it was just so much fun.
0: All right, Daniel, anything else? That covers it for me, man. All right. Same
1: here. Dan. Thank you so much for coming on. It was it was a blast having you on the podcast.
2: No problem. I appreciate it, guys. Best of luck with the podcast. Let me know if I can ever be of any help.
1: Of course. Thank you. All Thank right, you. guys. Uh, thanks for tuning in on this episode of Throwing Hands. We will see you back for a review of UFC, UFC 251.